0: Spicy Sri Lankan Food on Staten Island, Garifina Cuisine in the Bronx, and Badass Women Drummers. This week, we're in New York City.
1: Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network
0: i'm brent peterson welcome to destination eat drink the travel podcast for foodies this is the place where we explore the cuisine of the world at destinationeatdrink.com on the destination eat drink youtube channel and here on the destination eat drink podcast and this week we're exploring the whole world in one place new york city with emmy award-winning tv host Michaela malazi but first if you like food and travel destination eat drink is the place for you thanks for listening to the show if you could take a moment to rate and review it i'd certainly appreciate it it only takes a minute and thank you so very much michela malazi is an emmy award-winning tv host and the creator of the wildly popular show bare feet with michela malazi the highly anticipated sixth season of the show debuts next week on pbs stations check your local listings for times Mikella was in Lisbon recently, so she and I, along with my girlfriend Karen, sat down for a meal at one of my favorite restaurants in the Chiado neighborhood. We had some great food and talked about the new season of Bare Feet, which she shot entirely in New York City. We also talk about dance and music and how these art forms are uniting diverse communities. We also talk food, like the Arapa Lady, Arab grocery stores, and a Uruguayan bakery. Okay. I'm starving, so let's eat.
1: Destination, eat, drink.
0: Mikelo Malazzi, welcome back to Destination, Eat, Drink. I looked it up. This is your fifth appearance on the show. Oh, my gosh. Welcome to the Five Timers Club. Thank you. <laughs>
1: and this is our second time in Portugal in doing this live. Lisbon, it's amazing.
0: At a restaurant in Lisbon. It's amazing. It just, it's so much fun. I just love... When people I know, some people I know really well, dear friends and family and people like you who I know but haven't known for as long. I love it when you come to Portugal and I can kind of show it off a little bit because it's just like it's so special to me and it makes it fun to uh, share it with you as well.
1: Well, you know what I love about what I get to do and I'm sure someone who's living here now is an expat and people coming to visit you is... I love the fact that every almost every place I go, I have a friend there or I know someone there or I'll like in the back of my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, I think someone, an old friend is in Portugal. I have other friends that are here that have moved here. And so that's the beauty of traveling so much is that some people I haven't seen in years, but I'll come to these amazing places around the world. And I'm like out of my pocket, there'll be a random person that I haven't seen in a few years and we get to reconnect in a beautiful place and especially with this, like I got to see you last year. I never thought I would be back in Portugal this soon and we would be sitting here again. So I'd love that about travel. I really, honestly, that's like one of my favorite things about travel.
0: And same for me. I've done over 250 episodes of this podcast now. And so I'm the same way. Like if I go somewhere, inevitably it's somebody who I've talked to on the podcast. And so I'm like, let's get a coffee. Let's get a Even better, let's get a pastry. (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. So um, before we dive into it, we should talk real quick about where we are um, so people know. We are here in Lisbon. Yes. We are at a, we're outdoors, so you're going to hear ambient noise here. There's a street behind us, so you may hear traffic, and you're going to hear people talking in the restaurant. We're at a restaurant called Organi Chiado which is in the Chiado neighborhood. And this is one of my favorite restaurants here in Lisbon. Thank you for sharing a meal with us. Thank you. Tell folks what you had just so we can share it with them.
1: It's so funny. I had, um, it just came from Italy. So ironically I ordered penne, <laughs> <laughs> but it is a vegan restaurant. So I have a, um, a cashew pesto pasta, penne pasta, but which was delicious, but my favorite was actually the starter with these three amazing spreads. And yeah. I don't even know what they were. One was peanut and...
0: One was peanut. One, I think, might have been like an olive tapenade yeah. thing. And then the it green works. one, maybe some avocado in there.
1: It's delicious. They're all delicious. Amazing. And the bread, what they did you make say a, was a rice, rice? flour bread Oof, here. It so it's good. my
0: favorite rice flour bread that I've ever had. Amazing. I always get it when I come here. It's amazing. Here. Amazing. And I had a, uh, a mini hollowed-out pumpkin with veggies, and it was incredible. It was delicious. And I had. I,
1: a, thank you for giving me a
0: bite. <laughs> <laughs> before I devoured it, I'm like, I better share this because it's going to go fast. Very good. Very good. Mm. So, uh, delicious. All right. So, let's jump into it mm-hmm. now that we've set the stage. Yes. And um, by the
1: way, it's a beautiful, crisp, dry evening here in, in Lisbon. And coming from a week of extreme heat, it's it's a reprieve from, from this insane heat that we've been getting all over Europe this you, summer. You came at the right time. I did. Because <laughs> the weather
0: this week has been glorious yeah, in yeah. Portugal. It's beautiful. Um, now, your new season of Bare Feet with Michaela Malazzi is out now. Um, it's season six. Season six. We made it. Exciting. Yeah. And you were kind enough to share... Some of the uh, some of the episodes with me before mm-hmm. they aired, so I've seen all of the episodes, and I want to talk about Thank them. Thank you. But before we get into it, you always have a theme, which I I like about your seasons. They Thank all you. have. It's not like, well, we're just going here, here, and here. There's always a reason. There's a a, a reason behind it. So, mm-hmm. what is
1: season six about? So, season six originally, when you and I spoke. Last time when I was here in Lisbon, you know, we filmed all 12 episodes of season five and six together. And the theme of it was it was right when the vaccines were rolling out. We couldn't travel internationally yet. So we decided to do another New York season, which was beautiful because it was showing the resiliency of New York. It was showing the necessity of having open spaces for art open spaces for people to congregate after so long of not being able to be together and dance. So season five, those six episodes were the first half of that story of, of, of these stories of, of, of dance throughout the fibers of New York city. And really during lockdown and during COVID, a lot of the world changed, right? We had, um, the murder of George Floyd. We had a lot of anti-Asian hate movement. There was the me too movement. And so in this new season, thinking it was gonna just be one season Um, we really focused on voices that were underrepresented underrepresented in media underrepresented on television underrepresented in all aspects of storytelling and so for season six we continue that our very first episode of season six is called Empower NYC which I'm super proud of because all, all these years of filming there's always been I've found these stories of dance that weren't necessarily culturally based nor Neighborhood based, nor country based, right? But there were these empowering stories of how dance empowered local communities. So, for example, in that episode, I danced with a a group called the Pacemakers. They're a group of dancers that are 65 plus in age. Um, (laughs) The oldest, I think, yeah, (laughs) the oldest I think is 85, and they are. She's amazing, um, Reenie, and they these dancers are like official hype dancers for the Brooklyn cyclones. And they do all these amazing (laughs) performances. So I got to dance with them. So it's anti ageism. I got to learn voguing with an, like a voguing icon in the ball scene of New York from the eighties. Um, Cesar Valentino, who, um, you know, is empowering the LGBTQ community. Um, I dance with a disabled dancer and musician Siddiqui Conde, who empowers the disability community through dance and music. um, I dance, I got to rehearse with, um, the table of silence performance for anyone who's in New York and it's also live streamed, but it's the annual performance. It's basically a a prayer for peace through dance in Lincoln center at the time that the towers were hit, uh, for the nine 11 attacks. And it's this beautiful piece of how dance helps us heal, right? It's, it's, it's it's a way that we process these things and, I also get to attend um, a Native American powwow in the Queens County Farm Museum. That's all just in our Empower NYC episode. So those are these empowering stories of how dance is used in communities to really push forward the arts, but also build community. Um, And then our other episodes include Latinx episode. We have an Arab American episode. There's the Garifana episode, the Garifana people. A lot of people don't even know who the Garifana people are. I didn't. Right. And, um, and there are 250,000 of them in New York, in New York City. And uh, it's this incredible story, story of resiliency and, and culture and history and pride. And, um, and then our, our, our season finale is Little Caribbean, where I have the time of my life. You see me losing my mind, um, celebrating Carnival, but also doing Moco Jumbies, which has been a dream of mine. And am I li- missing an episode? I think I'm not. Uh, a little Sri Lanka excuse me and there's a little Sri Lanka episode in Staten Island so it's really focusing on female stories on stories of people who are underrepresented under again underrepresented and that's the focus of, of of sharing our this new season six it's always been our focus to highlight diverse voices but it was really a priority on being super super hyper focused on we need to share stories that don't ever get to be told that's a lot to
0: unpack. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so and there we go. <laughs> All right. Done. Thanks for coming. <laughs> so yeah. let's uh, let's talk about a few of these yeah. because um, I want to talk about the uh, Garifuna um, because these were uh, indigenous people from Saint Vincent. Do I have that? Do I have that right? Yeah.
1: It was a, basically it was a, a, a people from the country of Mali, modern-day Mali, uh, in Africa, and who were brought over to the island of St. Vincent and uh, were a mixed race with the Arawaks, and they were known as the Black Caribs. And um, this, these people were then... Uh, St. Vincent was one of the last islands to be colonized in the Caribbean. And so when the British came, um, they negotiated with the Brits to be exiled to uh, another island. And I'm not getting all the details correct, but eventually they end up in Roatan, Honduras. And only about 2,500 of these people survived this journey from an original number of only 5,000 people. So this was back in the late 18th century. For 2,500 people to survive, for now there to be over 500,000 people of Garifana descent is a miracle. It's a miracle. 250,000 of them are in the New York metro area. Um, over half of them are in the Bronx. And it is this beautiful... And the rest of them are in Central America. So Belize, Guatemala, Honduras, and Nicaragua. And um, it's interesting because a lot of people that identify as Garifana in New York City... Garifuna was never, and is still, it's still a story to be told because a lot of New Yorkers don't even know who the Garifuna people are, of um, really, they either, people ask them, well, you're black or you're Central American or you're Honduran, you know, or Latin Latin American. And so what's really empowering about this is finally giving voice or giving some platform for this story so that people understand it's neither. It, or not just one or the other, and a lot of Garifana don't identify as uh, Hispanic or Latin because they come from the island of Saint Vincent as a uh, Black Carib Arawak tribe, um, and so it's really interesting. Um, but the, the the music is beautiful, the rhythms are amazing, the dances. I learned the punta, and we get to eat the food too. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's really wonderful. The food. It's interesting. There's no official. Garifuna restaurant in New York City yet. Okay. And that's been such a, a challenge for the Garifuna people. Um, but there is this restaurant called Seis Vecinos, which is called The Six Neighbors of the neighboring countries of, of uh, Honduras, uh, excuse me, of Central America. But in their cuisine, they, they do have Garifuna dishes. So it is like these restaurants that are able to cater to the Garifuna community. Because it's such a large community in the Bronx. It's wonderful. So that's that's really been sort of the um, the focus of the food. And then you have these people, uh, these families that they, there are these um, street vendors on Sundays in the summers that they, they sell homemade food. And it's amazing, amazing food. In the park. In the park. Yeah. You know, lots in Starlight of, uh, Park. It's Lots beautiful. of plantains and
0: beans and rice. and
1: Fried chicken. They have these things called um, bailadas. Oh, Um, and then, um, Arnold Avila, he's one of the chefs, uh, and he has his mother's recipes that he does and his mother still helps him cook in that morning to make the rice. But he does this secret recipe that his mom, you know, it's been passed down for generations of, of roasting these steaks, you know, and all of this is with such Garifuna pride. I mean, that's that was the thing that I kept seeing over and over and again in these stories, not just through food, but through dance, is the pride in the history of the culture, the pride in the history of the people that have survived and thrived through all obstacles, you know? And I think it's amazing that um, Garifuna people are just really starting to get a footing in Id- identifying themselves Mm-hmm. to the public, to New Yorkers. You know, That's, people didn't even know. I mean, there's. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to bring this nationally to our PBS viewers so that they can understand who the Garifuna people are.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting because not only do you have the situation where us as outsiders aren't aware of the Garifuna, but even inside the community, they don't have a, a sense of, of how they belong to that community either. Does that make sense? In a way,
1: yeah, yeah. And I think... Um, there's some real pillars in the community that I got to meet with. One is Jose Francisco Avila too. And, um, that's been his lifelong mission. You know, Mm. he just put out a book about the, uh, Garifuna heritage. Um, and it's, it's just this lifelong mission of educating and empowering within the community, but also educating and, um, shining light onto the community for the public, for people to know who, who are the Garifuna people? Who are Mm. they?
0: And I did. So after I watched the episode, I did a little dive into the history of the Garifuna and the history of St. Vincent. And I found some interesting stuff because I live in Portugal now. And there's a lot of Portuguese. They went to St. Vincent after slavery was abolished because... They needed labor there, you know, all right? Now our stolen labor is not going to be part of this anymore. And so a lot of the Portuguese, like they went to Hawaii and like they went to other places, Portuguese went to St. Vincent. And then I read that um, Vincentian Creole language has combinations of English and Spanish and French, which Mm -hmm. I knew, but it also has elements of Portuguese in it, which I wonder if that came from... It must have come from when the Portuguese workers yeah, went there I'm, to I'm uh, sure. work on the plantations. Yeah. But anyway, that was the yeah. you inspired me to oh, uh, to to look up uh, some of that history. Yeah. So I really liked it. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: let's talk. Let's move now to uh, I think it was Jackson Heights. That's right.
1: Yeah. So we did a whole Latinx Latinx episode, and I, you know, Jackson Heights is first of all Queens is the most diverse borough in the world. Um, it's the world's borough, as we as we know. But um, Jackson Heights ha- has such diverse communities within the neighborhood itself, including a lot of Hispanic and Latin uh, restaurants. And so we feature three, and one of whom I is a dear, dear friend of mine, Nikki Padilla. She was our guide throughout Jackson mm-hmm. Heights. She's a Queens native. Um, she's a food lover. She's a, a tour guide. She's She's the sweetest. She's, like, the best, best ever. Um, But she took me to three places, um, one of which was the Gran Uruguaya, which was the Uruguayan bakery. And right down the street, we went to the Arepa Lady, um, which... She started out as a woman selling arepas on the street on Roosevelt Avenue on for cart. about twenty years out yeah. of a cart, and it turns out we didn't get we. The, this is what kills me about making the show is we only have twenty six minutes that we can fit. We can't go over, right? <laughs> we have yeah, a limited right. amount of time. <laughs> but in Maria's story, the woman who started, who was the original arepa lady, she was a a, a judge in Colombia. Wow, like a prominent judge, and her life was being threatened because of the cartels and and a lot of the uh, violence that was happening down there. And so she moved her family to Queens and started making arepas out of a cart and selling them on the street. I mean, it's just to talk about resiliency and, and a a woman who like just will do anything for her family. And she really fed the community. But now there are three locations in New York city. Um, there it's incredible food. Her grandson is the manager. That's who we're interviewing. Um, in that episode and it's beautiful. It's just a beautiful story and a beautiful food. And then we finish at, um, Bidialandia. is a, a food truck that's become an institution in New York city. It's huge. It's huge. I, I think now they have five Bidialandia trucks, the Bronx, uh, Manhattan Queens and in Brooklyn. And any time that the Bidialandia trucks are out, there's a line around the block. There is always a line line around the block. And he, Jose, um, really brought, Chef Jose really brought Landia to the forefront in the New York scene. It comes, it's really more popular, or was more popular on the West Coast, but he really brought it to the forefront. I mean, they've been featured in the New York Times. It's incredible food. And there's only four things on the menu, which keeps it simple. Right, keeps right. it really simple, but I don't think they can keep up with the demand. It's just unbelievable, and there's a lot of people who are doing birria now because Jose has, yeah. has has made it so popular. I was talking
0: to uh, Eunice Reyes in Los Angeles, and she was talking about how big birria is out huge, there too. Huge, and I said, "Oh yeah, I, I was I was talking to uh, Michaela Malazzi about that, and um, you know, it's just exploded." in uh in new york and now in la i guess and she said oh it's everywhere (laughs) it's it's, it's everywhere
1: now yeah it's really blown up but it's delicious it's delicious and he and again it's that that the passion for the food the passion for culture the passion for the community to to provide food that the community is it really wanted right his his original demographic was the people that would get off of work and be waiting at the seven train and here's a food truck and it's delicious food to eat and food um, that he was eating and, and, and from his own community. So I think it's, that, that says a lot, you know, that says a lot um, to have that passion for, for what you're doing.
0: There's a, all in, I think in this episode, there was an all-female drum group called uh, Batala.
1: Batala. 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 NYC, yeah. Batala. They are, if I can say a bad word, they are bad ass women. <laughs> yes. They're really... Amazing women,
0: I, I love the I love seeing the percussion groups mm-hmm. because here in Portugal, drumming is a big part of the culture. We live directly across from a uh, music school. Oh, cool! Um, and so you see the little 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 kids. I mean, little kids yeah. up to teenagers going in there every day. And as I'm sitting in my apartment, maybe. Editing audio or doing whatever, I'll hear them practicing. And when one kid finishes, inevitably there's this big cheer that oh, goes up, like a like a soccer roar, yeah. and they just go yay! But in their little kid voices, yay! Oh. And then when they go on field trips and they all go out with their drums, it's a it's an event, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the thing that I wanted to point out was. For a lot of, every town has several of these drumming groups. Mm-hmm. And I asked, I asked someone who was in charge of, of this. I I asked him about the, the drumming and he said each rhythm has a specific meaning mm-hmm. and it dates back to the Moorish times. Wow! So this goes back 1,300, 1,400 years mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to when the Moors were here. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of it makes sense because you can feel that Africanness in these in these uh, mm-hmm. drumming rhythms. Yeah. And these ladies in in this group, they're Brazilian, but of course they speak Portuguese. So right, right, I right. think there's probably some similar because there's all kinds of cross pollination oh, sure, that sure, goes sure, between sure. Portugal and Brazil. Sure, sure, sure.
1: Well, the the thing about um, samba reggae groups. And and especially a group like Batala uh, is each group, again, has their own rhythm. Did you, I don't know if you remember her pointing out the clave that's printed on the drum. Right, right. So it's the same idea that you can identify a yes. group based on the rhythm. And that's in a lot of... Afri- that's an African-based... Um, I mean, that's in a lot of all rhythms throughout humanity, but in a lot of African-based rhythms... You can tell who's drumming based on those rhythms. For example, in our season four, when we go to Guadalupe for a carnival, mm-hmm. if you remember, I meet with Akio, which is like the Mama Moss, the Mother Moss band, and he talks about the rhythm that they started. You know, the whole island knows when Akio, when the Mother moss band is playing, you know, because you hear that, that rhythm and he sings it to us. Because he's like, no one can do it like us. We have our own. It's a, it's a thumbprint. It's a it's a fingerprint through rhythm. And that's the same for a lot of these groups. Um, it's funny. I grew up coming to Italy only a few times when I was a kid. But whenever we would come, there's these sagras. There are these feasts. And we feature... La Sagra de la Reña in our very first episode. And they're the flag throwers. I love the flag throwers. I'll mm-hmm. be honest. Like, I have a huge crush on flag throwers ever since <laughs> I was a little girl. I think they're really handsome. and Great costumes. They're wearing tights. Hey, if, you, if you're a guy and you look good in tights, it's great. But they, <laughs> they throw these flags and they do all these amazing tricks. And it's really impressive. And, and then they have these guys behind them. It's a medieval practice, right? Tradition. And they have these huge drums that they're drumming. But each team because there's more than one team in our town there's more than one team in many towns you can tell who's going based on their rhythm on the drum so each team has their like pace their their mark and that that's what identifies them and if you think about it that makes sense because by by a sense of a rhythm and a drum, you know who's coming towards you. You know who's coming for you. You know who's representing mm-hmm. you. It's such a a powerful way of identifying yourself to a community, to a town, to a battle. Yeah, you know right. all of these things, whatever that may be. Um, that, yeah, it's 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 your it's your calling card, basically. So it, it it's it's across many 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 cultures, but it's pr- very prominent in. Um, especially in African cultures of, of identifying a tribe or identifying even a family through rhythms through a, a specific rhythm.
0: Let's go to Astoria. Yeah. which is also Queens. In Queens right? Uh-huh. Right? Um, you went to the Astoria Tango Club. Yeah. And so for me as a person who whose knowledge of dance pretty much comes from you. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where it begins and ends for me, Michaela. <laughs> But I always envision tango as a very sophisticated, high-end dance. Mm-hmm. And you talk about how tango originated in the poor neighborhoods mm-hmm. of Buenos Aires. Yeah. And this got me to thinking of Fado, which mm-hmm. is the, uh, the singing tradition of Portugal, which originated not far from us in the Alfama neighborhood which is the poorest was the poorest neighborhood it was sung by the people in the very lowest classes Mm -hmm. and today much like tango is a sophisticated dance Fado is sung in the most glamorous opulent halls throughout the world yeah but it got the same start that tango did and I just found it interesting because I keep I know I keep pulling you back to Portugal, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but this is where my, my head is at when I see this and I go, oh, it reminds me of this in Portugal. Yeah. What was your experience with the tango in Astoria?
1: Well, I, I mean, I said this many times in the episode because it was so true. I felt like I was back in Buenos Aires. I felt like I was back in B.A. because it was this little bubble of like a like a little capsule of Buenos Aires. You know, um, for anyone who's been to Buenos Aires, you know that tango is such a part of the culture, such a part of the identity of the people, of the identity of the city. Um, I've been there during the tango festival and you can't escape it. There's just tango everywhere. But also, funny enough, one of the m- musicians, the bandoneon player, I met in Buenos Aires when oh, we wow. filmed back in... 2012. That was when we filmed our Buenos Aires episode. Over 10 years ago. Over 10 years ago. And then he's in New York. He's in New York. I hadn't seen him since I met him in Buenos Aires. And here we are and I I walk into the room and I just was like, this can't be Hugo. This can't be him. (laughs) Because we... The woman who was my teacher in Buenos Aires, um, it was a good friend of her. So off screen, we got to hang out more than what you saw on screen. We we just featured him very briefly. Um, but it was like seeing a ghost almost of like, oh my gosh, this how on earth are we in the same space right now in Astoria, Queens? The grand reopening of the Astoria Tango Club. You didn't know he was going to be there. I didn't there. know he was going to be there. And to be honest, it was the first time that they were holding this event. It's usually a monthly event. It was the first time holding it since COVID, since lockdown. So he just happened to be in New York. He said that he was like in Philadelphia and he just, and, and um, Pablo Perea, who's the, the head of the Story Tango Club. He reached out to him and he like jumped on a train and, or jumped in a car and came up. So it was like very impromptu. He almost wasn't going to be there. Um, but it just reminded me of like, this is what bare feet is. This is about making friends by dancing with strangers. Hugo and I, I mean, we follow each other on Instagram. We've been following each other for years, but we met in Buenos Aires in our second episode. And it was this beautiful reminder of like how powerful um, staying connected with the world, even when you're not connected that whole time, right? It was, it was really wonderful. And he and I got to dance tango after later that evening, um, and it was just really wonderful to feel connected with the world after so long of being not connected. That's what I think people need to realize is we tr- we really didn't want to hone in on the post-COVID story because I think everyone's sick and tired of hearing the post-COVID story. But we filmed this. like Some of those scenes were filmed really early on, right when, when the city was opening up, when the world world was opening up mm-hmm. again. And um, you can see the excitement in my... In everyone's face of just like being together, and um, luckily that ha- that excitement hasn't worn off in New York and around the world. I think if we're here in Europe right now, and we were just talking about this before we were recording. Is like it's so many Americans are here, so many Americans are in Europe. They're just excited to travel. Um, I think people in general are excited to travel. And um, they missed it. They missed it for so long. Yeah. They missed it for so long. Put it off for three years. I'm
0: going to do it. Mm -hmm. Come hell or high water. Yeah. I don't care what happens at the airport. I don't care how hard it is to get there. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen.
1: And I think people are traveling a little differently. They want to spend a little more time uh, maybe in one place versus just trying to pack everything in. I hope
0: so. Yeah. I, I hope that's happening. I don't know. I Um. I don't know, a few places that I've been to recently, in a way, it kind of feels like everyone is still trying to go to the same yeah, places. Yeah. And there are some places that I need to go to that I haven't been to that are big tourist attractions. And I just keep putting it off, putting it off because I just don't want to deal with that, Yeah. you know? Yeah. And, I st- and I feel like... In addition to that, I feel like I want to discover these places that maybe not so many people have heard about. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's why I can go around Portugal, because even though Portugal is the so-called hot destination, a lot of it is relegated to Lisbon and Porto and yep. maybe the Algarve. There is so much more in Portugal that you can come to yeah, see. Yeah. But I want to talk about... Little Sri Lanka in Staten Island because I got to admit I've never had Sri Lankan food.
1: It's delicious. Um, It's delicious. How how would you describe it? Some of it's very spicy. You'll see that. Okay, I I happen to be on getting a lot of spicy food. It's there's you would love it because there's a lot of vegetarian dishes. Um, It's very uh, there's a lot of uh, fish seasoning like fish uh, salted fish. Um it's really I, I, how else can I describe it? It's really good. It's really 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 good. There were a few places we went to. Um Nuasha, which is like a, a like a we do the short eats. Remember the short eats which are the it's basically like finger foods. Okay. Um delicious stuff. So it's like fried fried things and um those were wonderful, but some of them were a little too spicy for me. Okay. So if you're if you're not into spice, it might be hard for you. But they did. But you're a you're a Southern Italian lady. You're used to spicy no, food. No, we don't eat. No, it's funny. We I barely we put pepperoncini and stuff, but it's not that accumu- it's not the cumulative spicy. Okay. It's just like a shot of spice. But black pepper. I'm not a fan of black pepper. That's the only thing that I don't like to eat, honestly. Um, but. I feel like Indian spices and, and, and South Asian spices are a whole other level. Of yeah, spice. Right. That's, that's nothing compared to crushed red pepper. Um, but it's so, there's so much flavor in it too, which is beautiful, but it's very painful <laughs> for my mouth. It's very painful. Um, but then we also went to, uh, La Cruana, which is this, it's a, it's a 15 minute drive. So it's not technically part of little Sri Lanka, but it's in Staten Island. <clears throat> It's a beautiful restaurant because uh, Julia Lijesingma, uh, I think I'm saying her name correctly, um, She, uh, her parents started the restaurant, and the father was a designer, and the mother's the, the, the head chef. And so it's all home uh, recipes, the mom's recipes. But when you walk in, you feel like you're... What I would imagine what little Sri Lanka would look like because the father um, designed the whole thing and imported everything from Sri Lanka, and it's just beautiful. And it's this: they have a Saturday and Sunday all-you-can-eat buffet, which is amazing. So you come hungry, and they have white <laughs> rice, red rice, yellow rice, uh, coconut rice. They have the curry egg. They have the um, uh, the curry chicken they have the pork so they have meats if you if you eat it but most of the dishes are vegetarian and they're really it's all the mom's recipe so you're eating you know home cooked meal basically and it's wonderful it's beautiful it's packed it's packed all the time so you can
0: do it in New York and not have to go all the way to Sri Lanka exactly
1: exactly take the ferry over to Staten Island and, and you're done but um yeah, it, it's a and Nuasha, before they make their homemade mango lassi, they make them homemade. They make, um, uh, everything is made in-house. And it's, it's a tiny little block. Little Sri Lanka, technically, where we went is this tiny little block. And there's about 5,000 Sri Lankans identifying as Sri Lankan people identifying as Sri Lankans in Staten Island. But that's a huge amount of people. It's the largest amount of people f- of the Sri Lankan diaspora outside of the island nation. Oh, okay. I mean, because it's a small, yeah, yeah. fairly small country. So, um, yeah, it's we ate very well. We ate very, very well. And then we went to um, the Sri Lankan market. And uh, it's great because my, my guide, uh, Sachin Dara, or we call her Dara too, she's a dancer in uh, the Sri Lankan Dance Academy. And so she took me around in her whole community and it's beautiful because we meet her seamstress I dance with her dancers her guru who's a, a drummer but we eat lunch and we go to it's, it's just beautiful and the amazing thing is she says this herself she's young and she's like my favorite snacks my favorite foods I can't get them at the regular grocery store right? but here everything's important and I feel like a sense of home right. and my parents have a sense of home and that's what you have around all of New York City that happens in our Latinx episode that happened in our uh um AAPI episode when we were in, in uh, Little Manila out in Queens is these, these communities build a sense of home. And in our Arab American episode, I'm going to kind of jump around, that really is such a theme in that episode because a sense of home for a lot of these people is the sound of the music and the transmission of information is in the home. And I love the line that Esra Warda says. She's in our first segment in that episode where she's teaching us Algerian Algerian rai dancing. And she goes, I want my classes to feel like you're in my living room because that's where I learned. That's where we share culture, history, music, dance, storytelling, food, family. It's in our living rooms. Right, right. And then a couple segments after that, I'm in a living room. (laughs) Sharing that transmission through the Brooklyn Nomads, you know, with Hedy Edelbeck. And it's like him and his brother and his cousins. And it's like that sense of home. The sense of home for Baladi. Baladi food is called hometown. You know, it's it, that, that, For immigrant communities in any place, that sense of home is so important. And that's what we're really showing in all of these episodes of season six and in all the communities that are in New York City. And that's what we want to show for... I think that's why people feel connected to our show because if they are have any sense of feeling like it's home, that makes you feel good. That makes you feel like empathy for people that makes you that's something familiar everyone wants to have that sense of home and that's our that's our goal in in bare feet you know
0: there's a there's a visceral feeling whether it's through sound like music or whether it's through taste or Mm -hmm. especially through smell Mm -hmm. that can transport you to these certain places whether it's it's back to your home country or back to your childhood yeah when when I was a kid my mother had a flower shop, and there's a flower shop in our city here in Portugal very, run by a very nice lady, and we you, she, she also sells wine. That helps, <laughs> so, that helps. <laughs> so she has a little happy hour, mm-hmm. and I told her the first time I walked in, I had this visceral reaction of going back to my childhood yeah. because it smelled exactly like my mom's flower shop smelled like when I was you know, 14 years old, yeah. helping her count count inventory and, yeah. and stuff like that.
1: Well, they say sense of smell is the most, uh, the sense most connected to memory. I can see it. Yeah. I can see yeah. it. Yeah. Um,
0: you talked about uh, your Arabic episode and you went also to an Arabic grocery store. I, when I travel, one of the things I love to do is go to grocery stores. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know the the markets are important too because I want to see the fruit and veg. But I also love going to the grocery store because you can see the um, the different, uh, especially the snacks. The snacks, those are the best. <laughs> snacks are
1: the best. <laughs> like, snacks are the best. Oh,
0: what is this thing? Yeah. <laughs> All right, get out Google Translate and figure oh, out what's in this thing. and yeah. <laughs> You know what? What are we eating?
1: Snack. Um, snacks are always the best. Um, but like I said, Baladi is this beautiful store, family owned. You know. Um, and it was just wonderful getting to meet members of the family. The brother, uh, um, Essa is, is the manager, one of the brothers. And then, uh, Ayat, who is the sister, she was taking me around. She opened her own restaurant Mm. called Ayat, named after her. And now I think they have three uh, locations. One, they're opening up in Philadelphia. I think they're just, I just saw on their Instagram. Um, but they have... Uh, One in Bay Ridge and another in another location. I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now. But it's beautiful because it's Palestinian food. And she was very specific. She said, look, there are dishes that are just Middle Eastern and we do those. But we also really focus on traditional Palestinian food. And they opened during the pandemic. They opened a restaurant, her and her husband opened a restaurant in the middle of a pandemic. That's some bravery. Exactly. And she talks about this. She's like, people were so hungry for this food. We didn't expect it to be such a great success. She's a lawyer. You know, she's a full-time lawyer. And her and her husband decided, her husband is a a restaurateur and they decided to open up this restaurant because they saw a need in the community. Um, And it was beautiful. It's a beautiful food. Um, and you can again the passion behind why she wants to, to to bring this food to the community it's really a sense of family she has nine brothers and sisters or she she has eight brothers and sisters so she's a family of nine siblings um, and so they were a family of 11 and she grew up she was the youngest of mm-hmm. these siblings and she helped her mom cook every day for the family and so she grew up making food like this at, in the proportions that she was making so yeah, right so she's it, already cooking for exactly, a huge exactly exactly so she just has that passion for it and she's a brilliant beautiful woman um and so they they're killing it like they're just they've really hit a market and for them to be able to do so well especially in the middle of a pandemic i mean it opened pre-vaccine rollout i think it was just nuts it, when they opened it was straight to delivery you know people coming in and picking up the food but um it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And, and uh, her family story overall of how important it is for them to make people feel welcome, whether that's at Baladi in the food market, whether that's at the home, because they have a home decor store that the mother opened up next door because she really wanted people to you know, really decorate their home. So it feels like home. And then I at the store, you know, the restaurants people feel like they're welcome. Like they're in their home. Like I said, that's a, a huge theme in that episode particularly, but overall in, in our, especially in our New York seasons, because these are communities that have left their homes and have to start a new home somewhere else, uh, in New York. And, um, that theme is universal, especially in the United States, uh, uh, you know, um, and all over the world. Immigrants are everywhere and um, people who are relocated or, um, having to move, whether that's by choice or not, that's, a, a, that's universal. It's universal. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been a really beautiful journey to make season six and to finish season six. I feel grateful. I have to give a shout out to our sponsors and our underwriters, especially Bloomberg connects. They just came through. And we are so grateful for them. Otherwise, season six wouldn't exist. Our co-producers, the Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment in New York City, um, without them, none of Bare Feet would ever exist. They were the first ones to ever put Bare Feet on air um, back in 2014. You know, and so I have to thank them every single day for that. But also for Bare Feet in NYC, they helped produce the show. They help us. Um, it airs in New York all the time that's our biggest fan base you see us in subway ads because of them oh, cool. you know it's it's uh, we are so grateful to the city of New York and the mayor's office of media and entertainment um, but without our sponsors we have the Ewan Foundation the N.H. Symington Foundation and of course Road Scholar Road Scholar is a, a is a big supporter of ours and our viewers um, we have our fan base that are very generous so none of this none of any of this would be possible um, without that support. We don't get a dime from PBS. And I think we've talked about this very briefly, but it's, um, I love what I do and I'm grateful that I get to do it, but it's a majority of my job is fundraising, right. <laughs> which right. I hate. I hate, to, I hate that part, but it's a, a necessity. You know, I spoke with. You
0: act as an independent producer. People, I mean, people hmm. think, I've talked with this with um, Maria Lawton. I've talked with this uh, other people who've done shows for PBS. People think PBS is paying you. To put these shows on the air, it's not the case. No. You're an independent producer. You make this independently, and then it goes to PBS.
1: Yeah. They're not giving you anything. No, and we we license. I mean, they give it. you a great platform. Of course, of course, and a, a built-in viewership. But but um, we have to we have to fund we have to find the funding to make the show possible. And there are a lot of restrictions. Rightfully so. It is. Um, public television right so it's not youtube it's not and it well it's non-commercial television so there can't be any perception that your sponsor has has any say in Mm. the content yeah good point which is why it's the most trusted media platform in the united states and i'm very proud to be part of that uh community of storytellers and content creators that are trusted you know we we work diligently to to put as much of correct information out there but also to tell stories that are educational informational and entertaining um which is why you'll never see product placement or you won't none none of those things we're not allowed to first of all and second of all i think it's helped me as a storyteller really focus on the story versus how am i going to integrate this brand how am i going to work this brand into this so that i can get this much money and if i could i'd be making a lot more money than i am but in the end i think my show is so much better for it for not right. having to do that. So, um, I'm really grateful. So grateful for the for public television and PBS platform. Um, it's, it's a, it's a really special place to be. It's a, not an easy, <laughs> it's not an easy place to be, but it, it it's, it's, um, without it, bare feet wouldn't exist. And our fan base wouldn't exist. We, you and I would not be sitting here right now. No, no, probably not. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, Michaela, it's just been great talking yeah. to you. Before I let you go, just congratulations on the season. If Thank I you. didn't If I didn't express that, I watched all of them. Thank you. And they just, they look gorgeous. You look wonderful. You. And you look like you're having so much I'm, fun.
1: <laughs> I'm having a blast. Yeah. And, and, and that's, I think, like, out of all of this, I love my job. I love what I do. I feel so grateful that this is my job. I get to wake up and, like, convince people to let me be dance with stilts on or to (laughs) you know drum with them and i've never done this before or all these things i feel so lucky that that this is what i get to do and i make a living off it it's it's wonderful and i get to share it with the world to show these beautiful cultures but i i really love my job a lot so thank you for taking the time to watch through all all six of them i really appreciate it well it it
0: was fun i enjoyed it and uh i always enjoy watching your show thank you um Thank you so much for making the time. It, it it's just so great to get to sit here, you know, face to face, share a meal, and then and then talk with you, you on know. the podcast. It's you know I love doing those over Zoom as well, but this is this really is better. This is really this is extra better. special, <laughs> you know, because we get to eat. Yeah, <laughs> but we also get to uh, you know to share with each other. Yeah. So thank you so much. Obrigada. Great talking to Obrigado. you. Obrigada. <laughs> Obrigada. Ciao, ciao. Thank you. Okay, that's Michela Malazzi. You know, we could have talked with her all night. In fact, we nearly did. After our meal, we took Michela to one of our favorite little bars in Chiado called The Old Pharmacy. I had a glass of wine, Michela and Karen each had a glass of Moscatel, which is a fortified wine from this region of Portugal that's similar to port wine, and Michela, who spends a lot of time in Italy, compared it to Vin Santo. And as soon as she said that, a light went off in my head. She is so right. And then Michaela starts talking to our Portuguese waiter in Italian because he lived in Rome for a while. It was really a great night. So great, in fact, we nearly missed our ferry home. Luckily, we got on that boat just in time because it was the last one for the night. Anyway, if you want to know more about Michaela and her show, Barefeet debuts on PBS next week. You can check out her website, travelbarefeet.com. I've also got a link in the show notes, along with the places we talked about in the episode, at radiomisfits.com slash ded256. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, we're buzzing on caffeine, Turkish coffee with a shot of brandy in Serbia, egg coffee in Vietnam, and a cop starting a coffee war in Washington, D.C. Don't miss that. Until then, get over to DestinationEatDrink.com. I just posted a video about some of my favorite Pastel Donata bakeries in Lisbon. There's not just one. They're on every corner. I tell you some of the best. You can see that by clicking on the video tab at DestinationEatDrink.com. I also just posted a complete foodie travel guide to the city of Almada in Portugal. You might not know Almada, but It's right across the river from Lisbon. Speaking of ferries, you can take a ferry right over there. It's also home to some nice bakeries and good restaurants too. That's all at DestinationEatDrink.com. Just click on Portugal and El And while you're there, sign up for the free monthly newsletter. And if you're so inclined, drop us a couple of bucks to keep Destination Eat Drink going by clicking on the Contribute button. And thank you very much. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road.
1: Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.